Hey, welcome back to Seller Be Soul with Grant Cardone. Hey, we're going to get you excited now. I'm shooting this from my studio in Miami Beach, Florida. Chapter 22, Quick Tips to Conquer the Biggest Challenges You Will Face in Selling. Look, I know what they are. I've been doing this for 30 years. I'm telling you the exact challenges you're going to face as a new person, the challenges you'll face as an experienced person so that you can know where the roadblocks are. You can look forward and say, okay, these are coming because they're going to come. Salespeople were surveyed to discover as a result of this book and many of the other programs that I've done over the last 25 years, were surveyed to discover what their biggest challenges were in selling. Their top, their top answers have been compiled in this chapter. Whether one of these is an issue for you or not, or ever becomes one, you might be interested in what others suggest their challenges have been and might have been, and my brief thoughts, if I can keep it brief, might be to handling them. The first one is rejection. Look, everybody knows that sales, business, entrepreneurship comes with rejection. Rejection is not a salesperson's issue. That's right. I just told you that rejection is actually not confined to sales. It is part of the human condition. This is what you have to do. Rework your thinking. It's part of the human condition. Rejection is just part of being on this planet. A guy once told me, man, I couldn't be in sales because I don't like, I don't like rejection. I'm like, bro, you need to check off a of planet Earth. Like, like, like literally, you got to figure out how to uh, detach from gravity because planet Earth is about people telling you no. Rejection is part of the human condition and an experience or an illusion. Hmm. It's an illusion created by the person experiencing it. If you don't like rejection, well, that just makes you more normal. I mean, who would? Who would be like, dude, I love rejection. I like being told no. It makes me excited. You're psychotic. If you don't like rejection, that just makes you a normal person. I don't want you to think about, oh, you're weak or insecure or you can't handle it or you're not made out for sales because you don't like rejection. Nobody does. I've never met anyone who likes rejection. I've never met anybody like, oh, yeah, I dig it. I, I like being told no. I'd much rather people just say, yeah, I'll buy it. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, that sounds right to me, but that's not the real world. Also, if you think you can avoid rejection again, folks, you're on the wrong planet. Gravity, by its very nature, is a form of rejection. Otherwise, we'd all be flying around, which we should be, right? The fact that, that, that gravity holds you down, you might see that as a positive thing, but the reality is, man, just imagine. Imagine if it was just half the amount of gravity, you could just like jump around. You wouldn't even need automobiles or planes. Look, there's something, if there's something you want and you ask someone to help you with it and that person then declines you, gravity, then you experience rejection. So you either walk away disappointed, rejected, sad, or you see my four-year-old, she gets all disappointed. I was negotiating with her last night. I didn't give her, we were trading. I was trying to, hey, Papa, give me some, give me some gum. I said, baby, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you, I'll give you all my gum if you give me two packs of gum. I was negotiating. I'm trying to teach her. And then when we started playing the game, she started crying because she didn't get what she wanted. I don't know where she learned that from. I didn't teach her how to cry. She's not watching her mom and daddy walk around crying all the time every time they don't get what they want. She immediately didn't get what she wanted, felt rejected, uses uh, emotions to try to handle the situation. So look, in, when you get told no, you either walk away disappointed, rejected, or sad, or you could dig in, not dig in too deep, 
and figure out how to get that person that just told you no to support what it is you want. Now, this is a skill that you have to develop. This is going to come from training, practicing, drilling, rehearsing. You need to practice and drill people telling you no, rejecting you. For example, if a homeless person rejected when he gets told no, for the moment he asks for a quarter, hey, how about a quarter, man? Quarter and a cigarette. Well, what's he do? How's he handle this? He gets told no for asking for a quarter. Maybe, or maybe, maybe he needs, what he needs to do is change his presentation and his offer. You know, he doesn't need to change his clothes. I, I say this all the time. Man, a homeless guy, you would never ask a homeless guy to change his clothes or go take a bath. That's not the problem. When a rich boy asks a girl out and the, and the girl says no, and by the way, he's rich. Was he rejected? Maybe, maybe she doesn't want to go out with a rich boy. Maybe she thinks rich boys get everything they want, or my family's going to think less of me, or my brother's going to make fun of me, or somebody's going to call me a gold digger. You see, you think, many of you think the rich boy just gets whatever he wants, but the truth is there's a lot of good girls out there who would be like, nope, because of whatever. Was he rejected in that moment? Maybe. Maybe, maybe he just needs to change his presentation or his offer. Or maybe he needs to come off like he's not a rich guy. Maybe the rich guy, the thing that many poor people think, oh boy, if I was rich, I could get anything I wanted. Maybe, maybe not. See, see, in this case, I, I just took two extremes. One was a homeless guy and the other was a rich guy. And they both got told no. See, I think the experience of rejection as an emotion, I, I, that's what I do. I, I say, is this an emotion? Is this a logical response? Should I get sad like my daughter did is actually what happens to a person that has low responsibility a low responsibility level results in people getting emotional my daughter crying means she doesn't know how to do this so what does she do she knows how to cry she ran out of material papa said uh, i'll give you 13 pieces of gum i want all of your gum 26 pieces she says, no, Papa, that's not fair. And I said, yeah, that's the deal. And she started crying. It's because she's not trained. So what does she do? She, she goes to what she knows. She cries. She makes sense of not getting what she wants. She got sold. She quit selling because she's not experienced. This happens to everybody. It's happening to you, I guarantee. You want to go to the next level, you have to learn how to handle this thing called rejection, this emotion. See, I think the and I want to repeat this. I think the experience of rejection as an emotion is actually what happens with people that have low responsibility. And just because you have low responsibility doesn't make you a bad person. Because a person with high responsibility would actually say, hey, I could actually raise my responsibility higher, right? A person with low responsibility would actually take offense to me saying they have low responsibility. You get it? A person with high responsibility would say, what? Well, yeah, yeah, I probably am lower than I should be. See, I, I don't get what I want, so now I'm going to feel sorry for myself. I'm going to label it rejection, even though, why, why do we even call it that? I mean, really, why do you call it that? You, you don't have anything to define this as rejection, but you did say this is rejection, but you have no litmus test, no chemical test, no blood test, no urine test to say, oh, he said no, and that's rejection. You're the one that decided this is rejection. Look, ain't nothing happening to you. Remember that in the 10X rule? There's nothing happening to you. It's happening because of you. Quit acting like a victim. Change your positioning. He says, no, that didn't happen to me. It happened because of me. Man, if you could get this one point, it'd be unbelievable for you as a professional salesperson.
People don't tell you no because of their position. They tell you no because of what you presented. How you handle rejection is the key. We're going to slice this off as this one CD, okay, that we're going to offer to people. Rob, make a note to Polly. This is going to be awesome for him. You can keep all this in there too. Uh, Robert, don't even worry about taking this out right here. Look, how you handle rejection is the key. Try to avoid it and you're doomed. You're done. You're finished. You're going to withdraw. You see, because the moment I say, oh, they rejected me, I'm actually pulling away from an, uh, an event. If you start to think less of your product or offer after you were told no, even slightly less about your product or offer after being told no, then you're being sold on someone else's agenda, which, oh, by the way, they're probably not even completely convinced of. Grant, what are you talking about? You're driving in the car right now listening to me, or you're, or you're at your house, or you downloaded this on your phone, and you weren't quite paying attention. Check it out what I'm telling you. Cat told you no about your house. You had your house on the market, and the guy says, uh, oh, that's, that's way overpriced, okay? And he left. And you, you're sitting there in the kitchen thinking, oh, man, man, tell your wife, oh, wow, we, we, the, the house is overpriced. You're actually thinking about lowering the price. See, you're withdrawing. You've been affected emotionally by this guy's input. He sold you on his agenda. He, he, by the way, you don't know this, goes down the street and looks at two other houses and realizes, man, that guy Cardone, man, his house is really priced fairly. It's a nice kitchen, nice view, big garage. I love the way the master bedroom was. The kitchen was really taken care of. Man, that's really a good deal over there compared to these other two houses. See, he temporarily had something come out of his face saying your price is too high. You bought it. You feel a bit rejected. That's what rejection is. You bought it. See, when you're told no or not yet, or we bought from someone else, have you been rejected really? You'll only feel rejection as a negative sensation, emotion, if you do not take full responsibility for your situation. You will only feel rejection as a negative sensation and emotion if you don't take full responsibility for the situation. When I'm told no, I don't equate it with rejection. What I do is I start to think, I don't think less of my product or my offer because of it. I know, oh, wow, man, I'm having this moment. He said no. I could feel rejection. See, when I'm told no, I don't equate it with that. I'm conscious and aware and responsible. That could happen. I look at what I could do differently next time to earn the business? How could I be more effective next time? How could I debrief right now after the sale? With our program, Cardone University, we actually encourage salespeople. There's thousands of salespeople that use that program to debrief after a sale. I didn't make the sale. They said no. They said they needed to think about it. They went and bought from somebody else. I can actually go into the platform on my phone, my iPad, or my computer, pop in, boom, what do I do? Payment, payment buyer. I got to think about it. I bought from somebody else. What can I do to debrief that situation so next time I can be better at that position? How can I be more effective? How can I turn this person into a buyer next time? No one says to you, uh, get ready. I'm about to reject you. Okay, bone up. I'm about to tell you no. See, you're creating this illusion. I want you to, I want you to, I want to sell you that you're creating this illusion that you're being rejection. Rejection is experienced by those unwilling to be responsible for the outcome. Rejection is experienced by those unwilling to be responsible 
for the outcome. Tweet me at Grant Cardone. That one statement right there, and I'll know you're reading the book. Rejection is experienced by those unwilling to be responsible for the outcome. Negative surroundings. This is a major area of problems for salespeople because we've heard about it thousands and thousands of times through strategies, people that follow our email strategy that we send out each week. By the way, you can get that at CardoneSuccess.com. CardoneSuccess.com. You can get a weekly sales and business expansion strategy for free. And we hear salespeople constantly, what do you do about a negative environment? Being surrounded by environments that are negative will reduce, for most people, will reduce their environment. I mean, unless you're, unless you're like Kanye. See, Kanye or, or I guess JC, you know, these guys were like, they were propelled by their negative environments to get out. But look, if you stay in that negative environment, even once you're successful, it's going to pull you back down again. You've seen many people that were extremely creative that end up, you know, imploding on themselves because they, they continue to stay around people that were vampires and negatives and, and, and blood suckers and, and creative suckers and just pull the life out of people. Your environment is going to control the success you have in your life. The ease in which people can get into sales and then, unfortunately, have low demands put on them by organizations, management, and, and other people. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not talking about people being negative. I'm talking about people just having low demands for push. This can create by itself the most serious negative environment you can have. In my book, The 10X Rule, my plates here, 10X Rule, if you ever see those rolling around Miami Beach, that'll be me. I'm saying, look, man, get around some 10X people. Get around people that demand, demand 10 times more. The, 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 the average environment, the average of uh, surrounded by a bunch of people that are average and all saying, yeah, I'm good. I'm making enough money. Yeah, we got a nice house. Life is good. Everything's fine. I'm good. I'm golden. As opposed to being around a bunch of people, I want more. I demand more. We got to do more. We can do more. Dude, which one of those environments you want to be in? You see, you really don't even label the first one as negative. No, it's not negative. It's worse than that. It's average. See, negative, you know. Guys walking around, I hate this and I hate that and I hate you and I hate everything. I hate the economy and I hate the president. I hate everything. I hate myself. He's easy, man. It's, it's the average stuff. It's that average, mediocre, this middle class mentality that's everything's going to be fine if I just have a good job and I just get insurance and I just get a nice fence around the yard and and, and I got my dogs and I got my two kids and we got a good education and everything's going to be fine. Look, all you got to do is sit in front of a TV and see that the planet's negative. It's either negative or average. And I just told you average is worse. The problem with negativity anywhere is that it is a disease and should be treated as a disease. It's contagious by its very nature. It affects everyone in the vicinity. If you've ever seen negative people at a party, dude, you can feel it. You can feel the whole, the whole side of the room go freaking contaminated. I, I don't need a Geiger counter to say, oh, they're contaminated over there. I know. I can sense it. I can pick it up. When you put negative people into a sales environment, it becomes destructive to your ability to stay focused. I, I'll, I'll guarantee you've already thought of people around you, a manager, another salesperson, maybe the person you're living with, maybe one of your kids. One of your kids is really positive and one of them's a little, little negative. 
What do you do about it, Grant? Well, first thing you need to do about it is handle your surroundings. When you put negative people into a sales environment, it's destructive to your ability to be focused, productive, effective. It's going to be, it's going to be counterproductive to you being able to push to new levels. Look, it'll be per- counterproductive to you even listening to this program because you're going to have one of your buddies, Larry. Oh, you listening to Grant Cardone? Oh, man, you drinking the Kool-Aid, huh? Oh, yeah, you're going to do what Grant says? I know, man, this is what happened to me. When I was 25 years old, I started listening to this guy, man. I became, I became like a proponent. Uh, 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 I became, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is, when, when somebody's learning from another person. An apprentice, dude. I was learning everything from this guy. I was sucking the data from him. I was, I was buying it all. I wasn't drinking Kool-Aid, dude. I was swimming in it. And people would make fun of me. Ah, you like a little. I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm trying to get better. That's what I'm trying to do. See, but really that comment, even though that guy would defend it and say, no, nah, I was just kidding. I did. It was negative. And it sticks to you. It'll be critical to your sales success, to your next level, to you getting the next level that you keep your environment positive. That includes your physical environment as well as what goes on between these ears of yours and the eyes. What do you see? Man? What, what, what are you sensing in your environment? What do you hear all day? This includes your physical environment as well as what goes on with what you read, what you see, what you listen to. Trust me, you will hear enough negativity from the media and your clients that you don't need to hear from people you work with and live with. The last thing you need when you're selling in sales as an entrepreneur, as somebody who wants to build their business, the last thing you need is people you work around or your family adding wood to the negativity fire. Make it known to these people that you will not tolerate negative talk. I'm looking for our no negativity sign. Maybe you can pop it off. And the other one, the only positivity allowed here. Make it known to the people around you, dude, I'm not tolerating it. It's not allowed here. It's not okay. It's not cool, okay? Thanks, so like I have these signs in my office, no negativity allowed here. It's a big red sign, red on white like a stop sign. What's it saying? Policy, dude. Stop it. Knock it off. Not allowed here. The next sign says only positivity allowed here. I made this one up because I had a client call me and say this was actually negative. I'm like, you're being negative right now. <laughs> Come on, keep it real. You're trying to negative, you're trying to be negative on my on my products. I had a client call me, man, your negativity, your no negativity sign is negative. I said, dude, two negatives don't make a negative. Two negatives, no, and negativity are two negatives. You need to learn your grammar. See, two negatives make a positive. But since you don't like this sign, how about I make this one for you? And I'll sell you this sign. Only positivity allowed here. And then I sold in both signs. Now, both these signs should be in your office. They're good for customers. They're good for employees. They're good for family. Give these to your kids. Your 15-year-old needs these everywhere he goes because he's turned into a little, you know, they, they, go, they, go, they can become terrorists. So make it known to those people you work around. I have a little wristband here where I put this wristband on, okay? Why am I doing this? Why am I a grown man with a wristband that says be positive on one side and no negativity on the other? Because I need to be surrounded. I need the people around me to see what I'm, what I'm, what I represent. It's going to be hard for you to be negative around me. 
because I'm surrounding my environment with the science. No negativity allowed here. If you don't have something positive to say, look, go away. Go away until you do have something positive to say. How can we do it, not how can't we do it? Negative talk or references about clients? How many sales organizations that I've been in over the last 25 years? I don't know, 10,000, 20, 15,000. I don't even know. I can't count. I can't tell you how often I hear the sales personnel and the sales management talking negatively about the customers. Guys, idiot. He can't make sense of a decision. He can't make a decision. He always does this. They don't have any money. They don't understand. These people are ridiculous. They're so- Dude, that's your customers. That's people that are putting your kids through school. You can't talk negative about the people that are actually flowing power to you. So stop the negative talk in your environment. Stop the negative talk about your customers. Negative talk about your product line, how it's inefficient, deficient, not good enough. They didn't make enough changes. Dude, you can't afford that. You guys need to, like, you need to stay sold. You need to talk about how good your product is, not where it's deficient. Every product is going to have some loose point that you can find to be critical about. Negative talk about product, clients, the customers, the company, the management should immediately indicate the person that is using this is an enemy of the group. Man, Grant, you harsh, dog. You're harsh. You're working with a guy that's saying your product is not worth what you guys sell it for. You work with somebody that says, you work with somebody that says, hey, this client's an idiot. That's an enemy of the group. Now, I'm not saying he's a malicious enemy of the group, but if he's walking around unconsciously causing problems, he's as much of a problem to your environment as the person that has malicious intent to hurt. He is an enemy to your group. Negativity is a killer. Negativity is contagious. Negativity is stopping you from getting what you want. I've heard so many guys, professional speakers talk about, hey, I can tell you what your income, I can tell you what your net worth is. Just show me your five best friends. Tell me what they're worth. And that's what you're going to be worth. That is the influence of your environment. Your mom, your dad, your cousins, your uncle, your aunts, brothers and sisters, the newspapers you read, the TV you watch, the, the radio you hear, the, the people you hang around, the things you hear every day are influencing the outcomes of your life. Control your environment. No negativity allowed here, okay? Only positivity. If the news ain't positive, baby, maybe you just want to change channels. Discipline. Probably the single most important factor to any success is the ability to show up day after day and do the right things after the right things, discipline over and over and over again. This has proven to be one of the most successful actions in my life. Okay, you'll hear me say that in a number of my programs. Oh, this is the most successful thing. This is one of the most successful things that I've done. It's, it's one of those maybe five or six things that I've put together in my life. Like right now, I'm back to a 4 a.m. I'm trying to wake up at 4 a.m. I've been trying this for four days. It's, it's beating me to death, okay? So I just got to keep trying. I, I failed every day so far. So I keep disciplining myself until I'm like, okay, I did a four o'clock. But each of those four days, I got up earlier than I did the day before. The person, company, or team that is unable to deliver disciplined, disciplined action will experience ups and downs, Okay. You want to be disciplined, man. I want to keep adding more to that fire all the time. Fire gets hotter. 
add a little bit today, take off tomorrow, add a little bit the next day, take off tomorrow. See, see, it's up and down. You're going up and down because you lack discipline. I need to use discipline. Look, the world is going to discipline you if you don't discipline yourself. You will be punished by the planet. This planet punishes people that aren't disciplined. You show me a group of people that don't discipline themselves, and I'll show you a group of people that get hurt. In sales, lacking discipline is going to negatively impact your presentation, motivation, and your ability to predict results. We talked about predicting results early on in Sell or Be Sold. You must be able to predict results. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? How are they going to respond? What are they going to say to this? What are they going to think about it? See, you, you have to have discipline in order to know, hey, when am I showing up? What am I doing? How do I keep my pipeline full? How do I stay motivated? How do I do the same presentation all the time? Literally a cookie cutter presentation where I know I'm hitting point four every time. This allows you, the salesperson, to believe in and self-manage and get away from spotty, undisciplined activity where you're like, okay, I'm going to say this this time and this this time. That's a spotty presentation. You, you can't feel in control when you're like, if you've ever been in a sales presentation and you didn't know what you were talking about anymore, it's because you don't have discipline. Or, I'm sorry, because you're not practicing discipline in your presentation. The economy will discipline anyone who operates with the sense of freedom, with so much freedom that you're not willing to put discipline. If you want real freedom in your life, practice discipline. And when you go to bed at night, when you wake up, how you do a presentation, when you make a sales call that you're saying the same thing. If you want true freedom, the people that I know that have the most freedom in their life, practice the most discipline somewhere along the line. The economy will discipline anyone who operates with this sense of make-believe freedom. If you want sales success, you must exercise discipline. This is why I provided you with that schedule a couple of chapters ago, the $250,000 a year schedule. It doesn't mean, you know, if you want to make $2 million this year, just make it the $2 million schedule, but get a schedule so you have discipline. White space on a calendar will prove to be a disaster for you, the salesperson. It's like meeting the devil. You want to meet the devil, man, just have white space for three or four hours or three or four days. Keep your schedule full. Stay busy. Always be moving forward. Stay disciplined on the little things like when you go to sleep, when you wake up, the first thing you do every day, write my goals down, when you get to work, make sure you're showing up before everybody else, how you start each day, how you finish each day, what you do at lunch. Yeah, man, have some discipline. The reason discipline is so important is that sales there are so many random things happening. Customers are different. Questions are different. The time they come in is different. What they ask is different. Their objections are a little different. See, there's so much random stuff going on that if you could get disciplined in how you dress, pitch, present, what you say at this certain time, it's going to give you more security. You're going to be more secure. And the more secure you are, the more certain your results are. Practice discipline in any way you can. The economy. The economy is the source of concern for all sales organizations and salespeople. We've heard about this time and time again over my 30 years. I've heard about all these different economies. The economy. When times are good and people and companies are spending money, dude, it appears easier to sell. Everybody's happy. Oh, man, we're selling stuff. Oh, we're so good. Broke another record this month. When the economy gets very tight, uncertain, and even in those times where it's contracting, getting really viciously brutal, ugly, 
selling becomes very difficult because people are more careful with their expenditures. Your clients have credit frozen and or money or uncertainty rises and people don't want to shop anymore, don't want to look. They make decisions not to spend money. Now, salespeople and sales organizations get punished. Yeah, notice that even in bad times, people don't quit spending money completely. It's just all the easy money gets pulled out of the marketplace. Yeah, I personally achieve more during economies that are contracting. I've done more expansion in economies that contract than when economies expand because it's time for me to use my other skills, my other, that other development, those disciplines, my ethics, my discipline, my positive attitudes stand apart better in a contracting economy. When the economy's expanding, getting bigger and easy, everybody can come in and make money. Uh, you know, in these moments of contraction, you can't make mistakes. People make many mistakes during contracting economies because they incorrectly respond to contraction by contracting. They buy into the contraction and do less when what you should be doing is more. But people actually make mistakes in good economies because they start thinking about how good they are and they don't get honest with themselves that it's the economy pushing them up not their efforts, not their discipline, not their skills. And people are less, less likely to train, prepare, practice, drill, rehearse during good times than they are in bad times. Tough economies result in contracted spending and investments, uncertainty in making decisions, tighter lending by banks, and more. This is when the professional and his skills will win the game. This is when you can actually stand out. If you're in sales long enough, you'll experience a tough economy. You'll experience stagnation. You're going to experience great economies. You're going to experience terrible, awful, like bullet-in-the-head economies. That You're going to experience it if you're in sales for any length of time at all. Be prepared for all of them. And the way to get prepared is to be prepared, not be prepared, not get prepared, but stay prepared all the time. In selling, you create your own economy. Quit thinking about the economy and start, start looking at your economy. How do you create your economy? In selling, and I talk about this in the book, if you're not first, you're last. Okay, I'm like, look, create a pipeline so big that you create your own economy. In selling, you create your own economy rather than being a participant in what everyone else has agreed upon as the economy. You get it? Hey, my economy, not the economy. So when you hear the president, or Congress, or the Senate talk about the economy, or the economists talk about the economy. How many, how many economists does it take to get the economy right? You know that saying? Oh, about 78. Two of them finally get it right. 76 were wrong. See, don't, don't worry about the economy. Look at your economy. Guys like Steve Jobs and Mark, Mark at Facebook, uh, Mark Z at Facebook, or the guy that created you know, or Henry Ford, these guys create economies, their economy, not part of the economy. Take advantage of all types of economies, the economy. Take advantage of those because you're going to experience them all and they're going to offer you tremendous opportunities. I want you to shift your thinking, though, from the economy to my economy. And my economy is going to run well in contracting or expanding economies. Competition. In my seminars, I am always going to have someone ask me, well, what, what do you do, Grant? What do you do, Grant, if, if, if a guy down the street sells an inferior or similar product, looks the same, but it's actually inferior, or it's the exact same product, and he's willing to sell it for less than I am? And my question always is, 
What about the competitor who has a superior product who is willing to sell for less than you? You want, you want to exaggerate the situation? You feeling me? Okay. Why don't we talk about the guy down the street that's got a better product than you, superior product, and he's willing to sell it for less than you are? See, my answer to this situation is always the same. What are you doing competing? What are you doing comp competition? Competition suck. Man, champions dominate. They don't compete. This wristband right here says don't, don't, don't compete. Dominate. You want to dominate. Why would I want to compete? Oh, Grant, competition's good. For who? Who's it good for? It's good for the customer. It's not good for you. I don't want to compete with people. I want to dominate, own the sector. Why would you uh, 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 compete? Don't compete. Dominate with your product. Dominate with your company. Dominate with your person personality. Dominate with your offer. I want you to shift out of, oh, they got a guy down the street. He'll sell the same product for less than me. Look, if you're the difference maker, when others will forever outsell you with a cheaper price, everybody's going to have a cheaper price, cheaper product, sell it somewhere else, build it somewhere else, make it for less. There's going to be a better offer. No product, no product. Even if you have a superior product today, no product can stay superior forever. You're like, oh, we got the best product in the marketplace. It's the best. So what? It will not stay superior forever. So sooner or later, somebody's going to knock it off. Somebody's going to create a better X. And then somebody's going to offer better X, X, X for less money and fewer sales followed by less success. That's what's going to happen. That's the cycle. In my book, The 10X Rule, I talk about competition being for sissies. That's right. Little itch base. Sissies. Look, you don't want to compete, folks. Okay? Competition is for people that need to be affected, not for people that are in charge and trying to create effects. You want to be on the cause side, making things happen, not on, oh, I need Robert to run faster to push me. Yeah, that is one form of competition, and it can actually be healthy. But healthier than that is this. I don't need Robert to run faster. I'm going to run faster. And then when I run that fast, I don't need Robert to break a record for me to break my own records. Okay, that would be the perfect situation to be in. I know it's difficult. I know that when I get a trainer at my house and he's working out with me and he has me run a lap and then he puts me on a clock to run a lap, to sprint a lap, right, or whatever. I know when he puts me on the clock, I actually get more out of me. He gets more out of me because he's putting me to compete against my earlier lap against that clock to beat it, okay? That's competition. In that, in that way, competition is healthy. But man, wouldn't you be in a better place if you're like, I don't need a clock, I don't need a coach, dude. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to push myself to the next level. Very difficult to do. But it is certainly an ideal situation. If you're tired of competing with superior products or similar products or exactly the same product for less money, then quit competing. You want to dominate your sector. If you want to know more about how to dominate your sector, get the 10X Rule book and audio. That program is magic. It is magical. It'll show you how to cover up, become omnipresent in a space, how to own, how to be a celebrity in your space, okay, so that people actually want to give you more money. Find a way to differentiate yourself. The value proposition should always be what you bring to the table. Now, if you don't know what the value proposition is, as I say that, oh, we got a better product. No, that's not the value proposition if the guy down the street's got a similar product. Can't be the value proposition, okay? I got two pieces of paper here. 
Which one's more valuable? They're the same. Until I tell you one of them has a line on it that's worth $10,000. Oh, wow, that's the value proposition. Now, if, the, if, if, if the, the things on these two pieces of paper are identical, there's no value proposition except for what? The person presenting it. I once had a man tell me, I can get the same product down the street for less money. I said, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I agree with you. First rule of selling, always, always, always agree. I'm with you. I agree with you. I understand. You're right. But sir, can I just inform you that, that, and you might not have known this. Certainly you didn't or you wouldn't have just told me that. You can't buy this product exactly the way it is anywhere else. Oh, yeah, I can. I know you think you can. It's exactly the same. I know you think you can get the exact same product down the street, sir, but there's one difference. The deal down the street doesn't come with me. Tweet that, and I'll know you're reading Seller Be Sold. In this case, you're listening to it. Product knowledge. Product knowledge. Products are changing so fast today, it's almost impossible to keep up with the product knowledge or the knowledge of the product. Whether it's the menu in the restaurant, are the 38,718 products in a grocery store. That's the average number of products in any grocery store. Or maybe it's regulations on mortgages and financial products. Or it's the technical advances of mass manufactured goods. Look, product knowledge is a serious challenge to salespeople, manufacturers, factories, and the owners of products. Regardless of the industry you're in or the product that you sell, there'll be advances that make your product current and appealing to your client. You need to stay in tune with what the products are. With that comes the challenge of staying in the know on these improvements. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big job because technology is advancing so fast, things change so fast. The only salespeople this is a problem for are those who are not committed to their profession, their sales, their products, their company. This is why commitment is so vital, man. You got to find a place to park your car. Otherwise, you just keep driving around a parking lot over and over and over again. I'm looking for a better spot. I'm looking for a better spot. You, you can keep looking for greener pastures, but you look. Somebody has to fertilize and cut the grass, okay? And the guy committed to his grass, committed to his lawn, committed to making it look good, is going to make the most do of that lawn. Same thing with your job. Look, you, you're not going to know your product, how it differentiates itself, the product updates, the next line of products coming out. How can, how can you possibly keep up with the technological advances of your product line or offering or regulations if you're not committed? The only salespeople that product knowledge actually is a problem for are those that aren't completely committed, those who don't make time to study up, those who overestimate or believe Product knowledge is actually a solution. Oh, yeah, I just said it. Product knowledge will not sell your product, folks. Okay, I need to know the product. I need to know how it's different, but I have to know first and most importantly, what is it these people want this product for? If you aren't committed, however, none of this matters. If you're not committed to your job, your position, your product line, you're going to get crushed. And product knowledge will be only one of your many excuses. If you don't take time to study up, and maybe this encouragement in this short chapter is just about product knowledge. Get your game on. Know your product. Study a little bit every day. If you don't take the time to study up, you're going to lose credibility with your client first. And it's going to be painful. They'll be like, this guy don't even know what he's talking about. And credibility is everything in sales. 
And lastly, if you overestimate the product knowledge as a solution, you're going to be gravely disappointed. I know lots of people that know so much about the product that they can't help but tell everybody how much they know about the product and never make a sale. Look, with the advent and ease of the internet, at least 90%, probably 95%, you'd have to wonder why not 100% of all the buyers are going online today, tomorrow, and in the future, it's just going to get higher and higher, closer and closer to 100, are going to be going online to check out the next purchase or investment. What are the regulations? What is the mortgage? What is the difference compared to other products before they even get to you or call you? With that comes both misinformation and accurate information. Okay, the internet is full of misinformation, outdated information, bad data, too much data. Data going all kind of places, okay? With, the, with, with all this information available comes good news and bad news, misinformation and accurate information. But the good news is your customer is still going to request information, hopefully, from you to assist them in making their final decision. Don't get bogged down in product knowledge, but do learn enough about the product to stay credible and current. And be know enough about that product so that you can actually customize a value-add proposition. Huh? Which sheet is more valuable? Okay. Oh, I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't know what sheet's more valuable. To me, to Robert, or to you? I'd have to find out something about one of the three parties. Remember, very few buyers want to drill. Oh, yeah. Remember, remember my example. Very few buyers actually are buying a drill. They want that drill for what? Oh, to make a hole. So I don't need to know how the drill works. I need to know it'll make a hole for me and it'll solve my problem. Follow-up. Look, this has to be one of the great weaknesses of salespeople and sales organizations. I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking about myself. Seems to be a problem for other people too. More often than not, when I've experienced a company or an individual, I am not followed up. Okay. You understand when I when I go out to the marketplace and shop for a house, a car, clothes, clothes are terrible. I mean, nobody ever calls you back. A restaurant, they don't ever call me. Hey, thanks for coming in. The dentist's office calls me back. Thanks for coming in. How's that tooth doing? See, most of the time you're not followed up. And when, I'm, when I am followed up, it's only once or twice, sometimes once, sometimes left a message, never a follow-up call after that. And then after that, not long after that, I'm forgotten or written off as a waste of time. Or maybe never even put in a file. Even my company, Eris, here, with not following up enough with clients. There's thousands of customer relationship management programs called CRMs, tools that have been created with the hope of solving this problem. Look, these CRMs are only as good as the people committed to them. doesn't matter how complicated, how simple, how easy to open, what kind of platform, a tablet, a phone. Dude, look, if your people don't know what to say, if you don't know what to say, you don't know how to talk to people, you're not committed to follow up, Promise you the CRM will not do it for you. Put somebody else in charge of doing it for you and you're going to offend, you're going to offend your customer. Some companies I know even hire telemarketers to ensure the follow-up. I know companies that pay for companies to send cookies to customers. A cookie. Come on, really? Okay, I go into a car dealership. I look at a car, they send me a cookie. Really, really? Come on, man, keep it real. I can buy my own cookies. I know people that offer iPads. Okay, well, good. I don't need an iPad. Okay, what do I need? If I can afford an iPad, I probably already bought it myself. Is it good for some people? Yeah, it is. It works for some people. 
But what about you getting on the phone and calling more people back? What about that personal touch that can't be replaced by a cookie or an iPad? The best salespeople I know are great at follow-up. They follow up in good times, bad times. They stay connected. They stay in touch. They use creativity to keep their customers sold on them and to get their unsold customers sold on them. They get, they, they get and use follow-up, creative follow-up, to stay in touch with people, to get people thinking about them. Following up someone who you just sold is one thing, and it offers its own challenges. Then there's the idea of following up the unsold who bought from somebody else or hasn't bought yet, it brings its own challenges. What about the person, the company, the account manager who you know is going to buy a product in the future, hasn't bought yet, but they showed some interest, possibility, just not the right time. What do you put them? How do you keep track of all of them? Okay. Is a CRM going to do it? Reminder, here's Joe, B-level buyer, A, B, and C, B. He's an alert status. Okay. Yellow. We use all these tricks, man, but look, you got to be committed to follow-up. The tricks, the red alert, the yellow alert, okay? Yeah, he's a B buyer, ABC. Look, they're gimmicks, and they're good gimmicks, and I don't mind you using them. Use whatever you can use, but you got to be committed to follow-up, and there's a lot of different follow-up. All these are follow-up opportunities. I'm buying, bought from somebody else. I'm going to buy in the future, and they offer different challenges, and they require different sorts of creativity. I just want you to understand that all follow-up is not the same. Follow-up requires an undying clarity about your purpose, staying sold on yourself, your product, your company, and committed to getting it all. Greedy. Get it all. Don't get some of it. Don't get the easy stuff. Get it all. Great follow-up requires commitment, perpetual motivation, a can-do attitude, a never-quit mentality, organizational skills, support, Hey, but once you hire somebody, I can tell you right now, if you're a staff of one, you don't, you, you're not committed to follow up. I need reminders. I probably need some technology to help me. I need lots of creativity. I need fortitude and persistence. Okay. You want the list again? You want to be great at follow up? You'd have to have these things in place. Perpetual motivation, everyday motivation, sales meetings every day, video every day, audio every day, books every day, something to keep you with a can-do attitude every day, a never-quit mentality, organizational skills. Oh, yeah, I got those. Support. Yeah, where's your secretary at? Okay. Where's your call center at? Where's your support system at? Reminders, lots of creativity, ideas, fortitude, and persistence. This is why people quit, man. People quit because they never commit to, to seeing it all the way through. It's all an idea. I want to follow up. I want to sell a movie. Dude, you got to follow up. You got to follow up. They're not going to remember you the first call. They're not even thinking about you when you're ready to call. Even if you have a great product, you have the best movie. The movie's going to come out and make a billion dollars. Some of the best movies ever made, somebody, it was turned down for 30 years. I don't don't know some of those examples, but I know they're out there. What is it? Rocky, dude. Rocky. Nobody believed in that movie. How many sequels did they do? Five or six, seven? They'll be, look, they're going to be making Rocky movies after Stallone is dead. They're going to bring him back. They're going to pump him with that stuff and say, go get it. There's clients whom I followed up for 10 years before I ever owned their business. There are clients I now have, as I write this, that pop into my mind. I can literally think of people right now as I talk to you about this, whose business I have yet to earn. There's a group right now. I have never been able to get them. 
There's a book publisher right now, as I think of a publicity-held automotive company with more than 3,400 locations. There's an international production company that I tried to get their business with that I failed. Look, I still want to get in front of these people. I still want them. I still have them in my follow-up. I, I think about them. Even when the CRM's not reminding me, this CRM is. With follow-up, you don't know when they're finally going to come around if you're following them up. Hey, man, I just thought about you. I'm using LinkedIn now and Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram. And I, look, I'm meeting people on Facebook from my childhood, good or bad, like it or don't like it. I got people talking about me. I'm meeting people in India because of my Twitter account. I'm meeting people in China because of my LinkedIn account, my Google Plus account, the Tumblr account, all the different possibilities now that you can use to follow people up. I could go into LinkedIn and pull up people in my profession, pull up other book writers, pull up people doing TV interviews. I can start building my network, keeping my pipeline full, and staying committed to my follow-up. Staying committed and creativity is the key to follow-up. And even more important is staying interested in a pipeline, not just the person, but a pipeline, and, and not forgetting about what their needs might be. So once somebody shows an interest, I need to get out of the prospecting mode and talking about the same things I talk about every day. Hey, dude, what's, what's important to you? Because he might not be a player for your product, but know somebody perfect that is. Remember what I did. Remember what I did with the greatest sale of my life. Remember when I talked about winning the date with my wife, that I stayed interested. I found creative ways to follow her up. I found creative ways to get in front of her. I found creative ways to stay in front of her. And now she's stuck with me for a lifetime. Organization. Keeping organized is a challenge for me because I move it, oh, at least 200 miles an hour. I think that's probably slow, maybe 500 miles an hour. I mean, how fast is a thought? Come on, really? That's fast. That's way faster. Have a thought. Think about, think about, uh, think about yourself getting on a plane and flying to Paris overnight, having breakfast and coming back. How fast was that thought? That's way faster than 200 miles an hour. Everybody moves at this speed. This is a speed you should move at, okay? Organization becomes difficult because the organization, oh, I need to put this in place, that takes a lot longer than a thought. So that means I either need an organization or someone around me that can support the hurricane. And dude, it's a hurricane, okay? And if you're going to be an entrepreneur, if you're going to blow up your sales, you got to go into hurricane, tornado type, electrical storm, uh, fast moving activity. You got to get that and get some other people to kind of pull these pieces and pick up pieces after you. This means you either need an organization or someone else picking up the pieces and organizing the past actions. Boom. I did, I did it. That's a past action. It's done. Somebody's got to pick it up and then be there to help me with the next actions I'm going to take. Moving fast doesn't mean I wouldn't like to be organized, okay? In fact, me moving fast doesn't mean, in fact, that I'm not organized, nor does it mean that I don't know what I'm doing or that I have some kind of disability or problem. Moving fast is what you must do. Now I need some organization to help me pick up the pieces. Look, I like order. I love order. I like things being, like if you ever see my show or anything, you'll see me just kind of you know, neat things out every time. I like order because it gives me a sense of control as I do it right now. I bring it up and I got to clean everything up. I love control. I love control. I, you know, somebody like, you're a control freak. Dude, I love control. I worry about the freaking soul that don't want it. Makes me think about Mr. T. I worry about the fool. Who would not want control? You're a parent. You want control? You're driving a car. You want control? You're driving a bus. You want control. You're driving a 
you're flying a plane. You want control or not? You're running a sale. You want control? You're handling a customer. You want control? Oh, yeah, but I'm not a control freak. Well, good for you, dude. I want control, okay? I want control. I want control of my finances, my sales, my income, my outflow. I want control of my family. I want control of my vacation. I demand control. And to have control, I have to have order. To have order, I have to have organization. And I'm not going to stop moving fast because I need that to get power. I like order because it gives me a sense of control, and I love that sense of control. Good organization skills allow me and you to put more in a piece of luggage. My wife, she, I, can, I can get twice as much in a piece of luggage or in a closet as my wife can, or in a box, because I, I, I work the space, right? See, there's value to control. And look, if you're a light packer like I am, like I, I, I go off on the road, I'll be gone two weeks in, in a bag this big. Then you want control. If you're going to be on a flight for six hours, you want control. I want control of the seat I'm in, who I'm sitting next to, okay? The food that's on the plane. I like that kind of control. There's nothing wrong with that. Organization allows me to find time to find things that I can do faster, makes contacts quicker. I can find things faster. I know where they're at. I know where they're located. And I can hopefully get more done. The type of organization just allows things to slow down. Oh, things are out of control. We need to slow down. It's going crazy in here. Let's slow it down so we can have more control. Dude, that's not control. That's not control at all. That's slowing things down. You don't want things to slow down. You want things to go fast and have order already established. Organization is critical in order for you to be able to find the things you want, to follow up when you need to, to identify what you know about a client and where to pick up that client. That's what these CRMs are for. Hey, what are your notes? What's in there? Yeah, is it going to slow you down today? It's going to slow you down for a moment so you can be faster later. Filing, storing, follow-up tools. Man, there's so much technology available today that can make you quicker and faster. The issue is figuring out how to use these t- tools, how to use them quickly, how to get familiar with them because you're going to need them to put order into your life, okay, to be organized. Organization is critical to the salesperson to take time to make sure you record every potential client interaction, every person you meet, phone numbers, cell numbers, email addresses. Those things probably won't even exist in the future. Uh, phones, assistance names, buttons, likes, dislikes, what drives them. You know, what do they mention? What's their charity of choice? Regardless of the outcome of your interaction with every human being you meet or every company, don't ever. And I I can't say this, can't give you this uh, notice loud enough. Do not ever discard the data. I made this mistake. Do not discard contacts. One day, someday, some way, somehow, that contact might be able to help you. Even when you... Leave your current scene. You leave your wherever you live, your location. Make sure you maintain the contacts that you left. They can help you in the future. Your ability to organize your space, your thinking, your clients, your office, your own physical environment. And, I, and I, you know, our society today really condemns this. You, you'll hear people actually tell you, oh, man, you're a control freak. You got to have everything cleaned up. You want your kitchen? Yeah, yeah, dude, I want my kitchen cleaned up, okay? I got to tell you, I don't like dishes in the sink. I don't like stuff dirty. I don't like, I like order. If that's a problem for you, maybe you need, maybe you need no negativity, okay? I like order, man. 
I'd like to, I'd like to have all my dollars stacked, packed in honeys. Wouldn't you? I like order. I've never met a highly successful person that didn't have order in their finances, their business, their plans, their ideas, and where they were going. Okay, continuing with the biggest challenges you will face as a salesperson, call reluctance. This is the phenomenon whereby an individual creates reasons, not to reasons, motives, justifications to not actively and aggressively call on clients or follow-up clients. It's called call reluctance. It comes in many forms. Salespeople have suffered from this issue since the beginning of time making up reasons not to call someone. Anytime you aren't calling a client, you are experiencing this phenomenon of call reluctance. Paperwork, organizing your desk, filing, calculating possible future commissions. What am I going to make on this deal? Counting money, gossiping, hanging out at the water cooler are all examples of call reluctance. You want the list again? Paperwork, organizing your desk, filing, calculating possible commissions, counting money, gossiping, hanging out at the water cooler, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yes, that's right. These could not also be productive mechanisms, but they could also be mechanisms used to be call reluctant. This cost, this thing, this concept of call reluctance costs salespeople more than anything they will ever spend money on. Listen to that again, okay? Call reluctance will cost you more money than all the money you will ever spend in your lifetime. Call reluctance ultimately comes from not being constantly motivated and trained at your job as a professional salesperson. Look, you're not making calls because you don't know how to do it. You're not making calls because you're not motivated. You're not making calls because you're not pushed. What's your, what's your target? When you know what you do, when you know exactly how to do it, okay, when you're the best at your job, best at that position, best at a phone call, best at objectives, best at generating interest, best at getting appointments and handling stalls, and all the challenges that come with selling, you will not experience, well, at least a call reluctance at the level other people are. You'll experience a lighter degree of it. The length of time someone has been doing sales does not protect him or her from call reluctance. I know people that have been doing sales for 40 years, and they could experience call reluctance on a Wednesday morning. Salespeople are motivated, regularly trained, regularly daily trained, especially those involved in train, drill, rehearse exercises that are doing practicals, video, audio, reading books. Then, then rehearsing with other people are less apt to fall victim to call reluctance. Call reluctance is not a disease. You don't need medication for it. It does not mean, by the way, that you're not cut out for sales. So don't let somebody tell you, hey, you're not cut out for sales, man. You, you, you ain't got it. What's that mean, man? I ain't got it. What does that mean? It means I need to freaking develop it. Okay, rejection, call reluctance, you don't like to be turned down, you're scared, so what? All those can be things overcome because I practice, drill, and rehearse. Call reluctance is an indication of a lack of training, motivation, and education that builds confidence in the sales professional. When I was uh, starting my first business, I had this little trick, you might have heard about it before, where I never put my phone back in the cradle. 
Okay, like this phone doesn't have a cradle, but the old phones had cradles, right? You'd, you'd hang it up. I never hung it up. I just stayed on the phone. With this phone, what I would do is I would basically hit an end button, and I would not, I wouldn't take a break now. I'd just go to another phone call. All right, it takes a lot of work to do this, dude. It takes a lot of work to say, I'm going to stay motivated all the time. No more call reluctance, okay? Maybe start making a note of when you're call reluctant, when you're not making a call, not sending out a letter, not taking action, call reluctance is a killer. Chapter 22, part two continues up next. Are you there?